you know, pray any concept that you talk through enough, you think, oh, yeah, why don't they do that every single time? Hey, welcome to Behind the Screen with Greg Cosell. I'm Andy Benoit, talking football here. Make sure you subscribe and turn on notifications. Never miss an episode. Greg, how'd I do there? They told me we had to kind of do an intro. We can't just talk <laughs> football all day, every day. We have to do housekeeping is what the producers called it. How was the housekeeping? I think you did okay. Yeah, we just want people to listen and act like they, you know, like what we're talking about. Yeah. So week one, I don't know about you. I go back and forth between loving it and hating it in the moment. You feel like you're behind all week long. Oh. Games take longer. You're looking, trying to figure out whose personnel packages or what. Yep. It, it's... But, you know, it's a great time, and I know we've got some overlap on some things. We've seen some stuff we're eager to talk about. I'd love to hear things you have, that I've seen, you haven't seen, you've seen, I haven't seen. You know, let's just get into it. Where do you want to start? What, what's jumped out at you so far at this point? In the, well, uh, I have a question for you. You know, since you worked for a team for, you know, a number of years and, and, and therefore, you know, have been in the building and all that, what kind of stock do you put in week one? In other words, there were a number of games this weekend that probably were very weird to people, you know, like – and I didn't see this game yet on tape, but I've, I've heard people talking about it. But obviously Cincinnati's offense, obviously the Steelers, which I did see the Steelers 49ers game in its entirety. And I believe you did as well. You know, um, how much stock do you put in, you know, a, a really bad performance or a really good performance by, you know, that's something that's totally unexpected. It's, yeah, it's a great question. I know the first time I was in an NFL locker room after after I was with the Rams during the pandemic, but I was from afar. It was COVID. I wasn't right. technically with the team, so I'm doing my own thing. So my first time was a 2021 season. I'd never really been – I'd been in locker rooms after games, but not when I'm on one side or the other. And what stood out to me was you know, we beat the Bears that night, Sunday night football, good, solid game. I think we kind of, you know, were – I think we played the way we expected to play. And I thought, man, the teams that lose this game, is that a gut punch? Because there's a lot of – so, you know, you do prepare for that first game so much more. You know, everybody's probably – I think people admit that too. I think everyone's been working on that first game for a, an extra yeah. month compared to other games. And so what happens if you come out and lay an egg? And I don't know – unfortunately, I mean, we kind of did against Buffalo, I guess, the next year and. You move on pretty quickly from that, you know. So, but it helps that you're just hung the banner that night as well, too. So, now, I that was the first year. That was the first year with Stafford, right? The 2021 when you beat the Bears. Yeah, and then his first play yeah. was a, a big rollout, and he threw back across the field on a Jefferson, high. Jefferson, I remember the long touchdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah and as yeah. soon as I saw it, I thought, like, oh my god, we're going to win every single game. I get oh, perfect. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everybody ran that play that season, too. That was a, we call it Laker high post, but misdirection, deep shots. To answer your question, Greg, I, I mean, I can only speak to those two years. I do know I'll say this as well. So winning that Bears game, oh, man, a lot of energy must be a gut punch to lose. You know, you lose the Bills game, not as much. The, the second the game's over, at least let's say 10 minutes after the game's over, guys yeah. really do move on. That was the thing that startled me every single week was how – quickly the page is turned and so a team like the Bengals you know I'm sure they prefer not to play the way they played against Cleveland and I'm sure that they're not really worried a whole lot coaches maybe behind the scenes on some of the details but I doubt I doubt that team sees themselves differently and it's funny you say that because I think 
you know, and again, I played other sports, not football, but I think ingrained in football, because it's only once a week, you know, unlike, you know, other sports, is from the time they, they play through high school, college, is that's what coaches talk about, is once a game is over, you know, win or lose, there's only a set amount of time that you're, they really, quote unquote, allow you to think about it, and you're on, you're moving on. You know, yeah. so whether whether it's, hey, enjoy the next three hours or enjoy. I know I've heard over the years the midnight rule. You know, you've heard that as well. You know, so by midnight Sunday night in the NFL, hey, what just happened is done now. Now it's it's not really relevant other than correcting mistakes. Then that's how it's relevant. But yes, the, the winner of the loss is not relevant anymore. Correct. And there's been, you know, history is full of good teams. I always remember the Patriots. I think it was the lawyer, Malloy year when they got they lost 31 nothing to Buffalo, as I and recall. And then they won that yeah. by that same score, the final game of the year. You know, so it's easy to put too much stock into week one, I'm right. sure. But that's all we have to go on right now. Right. Yeah. I, the reason I mention that is, you know, obviously I'm in the Philadelphia area and uh, I watch the Eagles tape in, in detail. Um, and the Eagles offense, you know, surprisingly, I think in the minds of many, I know they won the game. And look, when you don't play well and you get the W, that's all that counts. But if you, you know, looking at it from a coaching perspective, which I try to do since I grind away watching so much tape, um, their offense did not play very well, either from an individual standpoint or, uh, you know, or you could argue even tactically, they didn't play uh, very well. And so, you know, I started to think, okay, with a, with a game on Thursday night, is this something to worry about? Or is it just, hey, Jalen Hurts, um, who, by the way, had a number of misreads in this game, is is it just the fact that he didn't play in the preseason and this was the game to get the cobwebs out and he comes out Thursday night against a Viking defense that's not very easy to play, by the way. You're certainly well aware of Brian Flores, and we can talk about that. Yeah. But, you know, is this is this, you know – are they going to struggle a little bit, uh, you know, or yeah. was it just one of those games where, hey, they the, a lot of guys didn't play and they just sort of had to get their feet wet. And plus the weather was not very good. Yeah. Wait, wait, so, you know, Flores, I know you've seen the Vikings film in full. I saw the third downs. I did look at those lined up and cover those cover zero looks that we saw in Miami a lot. Bring some. Sometimes he drops guys. That kind of look theoretically. And I remember he, he did that to Lamar on a Thursday night game. Remember that a few years ago, and I a think years, oh, right. and yeah, they beat them badly. Um, I remember, and it may not have been a Thursday night game, but one year it was Miami only scored. I think they got a late touchdown to get to ten points, but it was when uh, Baltimore played Miami, and uh, and Flores had all those seven, eight man fronts with you know sort of that off coverage zero look. I don't know if it's categorized as zero because it's it's kind of off coverage, and it wasn't zero in a strict sense. Yeah, um, no, it's. But, Cody Schwartz, my research, and I had this discussion today because pro football focus counts cover zero as man-to-man, which I understand. And what you just said, so many teams now play cover zero out of really just quarters shells. It winds up being man because, of course, it's going to be one-on-one coverage. But is that really man-to-man? Like, it's that's yeah, that's a hard one. But I guess I brought it up like, let's say Flores plays that way again. And I know we're not going to – talk Thursday night football very much in this show. We want to keep it current, but we're talking conceptually. A quarterback that struggles, yeah. that's facing a Thursday, uh, that's facing a, a zero blitz team on third downs, does the zero blitz, does that make it easier or harder on a QB that's just made a bunch of misreads? Well, I think the first thing you worry about is protection because you have to figure out, look, as you know, and this is a great philosophical conversation because I try to figure this 
out all the time when I'm watching tape, when I see a six man front, some teams put it, you know, bring a seventh man, you know, on, on the ball. And, you know, we know that 99% of the time they're not all coming, Andy. We know that. But yeah. so, but the point is the offense can't guess and say, well, I don't think he's going to come or I don't think this one's going to come. You have to be prepared to protect because you just don't know who's going to come. So, yeah. you know, I well, think that it, it speeds up everything for a quarterback because they may be hot. They just don't know that, you know, or they or the defense could drop everybody out and rush four, you know. I mean, that to me is the beauty of what the Brian Flores is do. You know, those, I mean, even, even last week against uh, the Eagles, he lined up a lot and you saw this, I'm sure on third down with the double a gap look, and then he dropped everybody out. I mean, he had a great play against Baker Mayfield in there. You saw this play because it was in the, it was third down and six in the red zone, the 14 yard line where they showed that look. What the Bucks did was they kept in the tight end and the back as primary pass protectors, okay? So they only sent out three, and it was bunched to the right. It was bunched, and, and on the backside where the tight end was, he stayed in, and Baker Mayfield clearly thought they were going to bring pressure, and what they did is they backed out. In fact, they only rushed three. They backed out, and they played box over the trips, which it just means four over three, but it was box coverage. And Baker didn't have a throw yeah. because he had nothing backside and no check down. And he ended up getting sacked late in the down because he simply had no throw. Yeah. You know, so, you know, Flores is a master of that as well, where he shows pressure and then he backs out. Well, and, and one thing when they play those off coverages and those quarters looks, and it's not just Flores, you know, the Patriots have been doing this for a long yep. time. Yeah. I was actually surprised more teams don't do it is some of those draw who, who drops can depend on where your protection slides. Center goes one yeah. way, that, okay, we're going to drop accordingly and make you waste blockers. We're going to bring the, the blitzers opposite whichever way you slide, So, so which does two things. One, it gives you, obviously, it gives you a pass rush advantage in a certain way. But two, those droppers will show themselves kind of late, and the quarterback's probably still holding the ball because the coverage has so much cushion behind it that the routes haven't had a chance to express themselves relative to the coverage. So it's, it's a tough deal. And I'm, as we're talking through, you know, probably any concept that you talk through enough, you think, oh, yeah, why don't they do that every single time? I know. But, yeah, you know yeah. it, it sounds like a good concept as we're talking this one through. Right, right, right. No, yeah, why don't they do that every single play? Right. Yeah. But, you, you know, you, you, were the, you were the first person I asked that to, I remember. It was like right when I, one of the first exposures I had to coaches film. And, and you just turned to me and said, and you weren't being a jerk. You just said, because then the defense wouldn't do that the next play. They won't keep, they right, won't right. keep do, the other team won't keep playing along every play. That's why they don't do right, it every right. play. Yeah, and, and some things are just human nature. I mean, something works for, you know, and it works. And then, you know, people have seen it and they're aware of it. And it just doesn't work play after play. But yeah. just hitting your point about protection, you know, jumping to the other side, you know, from that game, um, Todd Bowles. And did you watch that side of the ball by any chance? No, not yet. I, I tried to watch well, those Thursday teams later in the week because I it's I just let the Thursday game play out a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, but it's, well, you, I'm sure you're familiar with Todd Bowles and his defense. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. But he does such a good job, and he did it against Minnesota in that game on Sunday. Does such a good job with showing pressure from one side, getting protection to slide or 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 show its strength to that side, however they want to do it, and then come with pressure from the other side. Yeah. He had a couple of you – know, uh, Winfield had a sack for you know, I did, on Cousins. I did, I did and, see – I actually broke that play down for 33rd team. So I did see that one. That you know one. the play I'm speaking about. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. They couldn't yeah. pick that up based on the protection. No, so did you think – I thought Cousins – so that obviously the quarterback's responsible for Winfield if Winfield's coming as yep. a clean blitzer. There's nobody else to pick him up. My, my sense was Cousins thought, well, Winfield's kind of – he's playing underneath Justin Jefferson. No way they're bringing the pressure from Jefferson's side with the corner playing outside technique. That's, it looks yep. like they're going to give Jefferson an easy slant if they do that. Cousins assumes there's no way they're doing that. He never considers that Winfield's coming then. And that's very possible because Cousins is a veteran who's been in this league a long time and he's aware of pressures, but he clearly dropped back, not expecting Winfield to be coming. But the nature of that pressure was such that he could not be accounted for by the protection on the overload boundary pressure because, uh, you know, White ended up um, blitzing through the B gap and the back picked him up. So there yeah. was no one to pick up Winfield. They just didn't have enough bodies. Yeah, because White blitzed on the B-gap on the same side as Winfield. They brought both on the Correct. same side. The droppers yeah. came from the other side and crossed the field, which I'm also surprised you don't see that as much either just because I would think that if you, if you get an in-breaking route and you're dropping a line of scrimmage guy from the other side, that's going to close that window a lot quicker than a quarterback's used to seeing. Yep. But, you know, it's funny, the, the plays we're talking about are all third down plays where quick game throws are not as prevalent, you know, because there's, there's such an abundance now of quick game in this league with whether it's an RPO. Uh, sometimes I'm not sure if it's an RPO, you know, when I look at a play 20 times, it could just be run action that looks like an RPO and it's really a pass play. Um, but the point is it's a quick game throw. And even when it's not a play action, there's so much quick game that a lot of pressure concepts on in normal down and distance situations are, are pointless because you're not going to get there. The ball yeah. is going to be out and then you're losing a guy in coverage. So, so, all right, we both watched the, the Niners defense this oh, week. Yeah. I think we yep. can, I mean, they were spectacular. Would you agree? I mean, it was, it was pretty outstanding defense across the board. Yeah. Their, their front is, is, I mean, I think their whole defense is good and we'll get to the whole defense in a sec, but I think their, their pass rush front, they had Bosa and Jackson at the DNs, and they have Armstead and Hargrave inside, and that is a really good four-man D-line uh, front. Yeah, you know, a lot of – Go ahead. No, I was going to say a lot of power, physical yep. power, and then they run more stunts than any team in the league. The numbers bear that out, and they are so well coached on those stunts. But I guess here's what I wanted to ask you about the Niners in, because you mentioned quick game. I find myself thinking this a lot, and this is a great litmus test because the Niners have what I think a lot of people, everyone would agree, I would say, that Fred Warner's the best linebacker in the league right now. And I think a I lot of people say that. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would say Nick Bosa is probably the best defensive end. He's certainly top two or three on, on anyone's list. So they're a good litmus test. Which of those two guys on normal down and distance? So we hear about, okay, it's a passing league now. So you need, You're not going to ask me who's more important, are you? <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to frame it in a certain – I am going to – yes, but I'm going to frame it in a certain context <laughs> because we say it's a passing league, and so we say, well, you need pass rushers if it's a passing league. But if you look at why it's become a passing league, it's because of the quick game on early downs like you described. That's right. what replaced the running plays. It's not like teams are dropping back seven steps and throwing it 50 yards downfield every snap in the league now. It's a quick game league, and that's why there's more passes than runs. So that in mind, which guy is more valuable to the Niners and their system, straightforward zone coverage, first, second down, normal down and distance, and quick game, which defender is more valuable to San Francisco, Fred Warner or Nick Bosa? 
Well, wording it the way you just worded it, I would say Fred Warner, and that might seem, you know, blasphemous or like a hot take, but, you know, based on the way you worded that, I would say Warner. Um, now, yeah. then when you start getting to third and long and those situations where quick game, you know, is not prevalent and can't be prevalent, then then it's probably a different conversation. Although Fred Warner is the best zone coverage linebacker in football, in my opinion, hands down. But, yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're just talking normal down in distance, first and 10, second and five, and you're 100% right, the Niners are not a high percentage man-to-man team. They're predominantly a zone coverage team. They play a lot of split safety, a lot of the cover four variety, whether, yeah. you know, quarter, quarter, half, cover six, cover eight, whatever teams want to call it. Um, you know, and Warner is absolutely critical to that because of his ability as an underneath zone defender, to me, the best in the league at that with his savvy, his awareness, his length, his athleticism. So if you're talking normal down in distance, I would probably say Fred Warner. Yeah. And see what got me thinking about it is just because it's, it's almost just like treated as common knowledge, like a matter of course that stack linebackers are now less valuable and defensive ends are more valuable because it's a passing league now. But again, when you break down, why is it a passing league? It's because we've replaced some run plays with quick passes. And that's right. why I brought up Red Fred Warner. You know, are the are the stack linebackers really unimportant if we're defending five yard passes all and, day long? And I and I know people would disagree, and and their their points would be valid. I mean, you know, I didn't know you were going to ask me that, and it's something I've thought about. Obviously, it's not the first time that I thought about it, and I, you know, maybe a coach will tell me I'm wrong. Although it's interesting, I had a conversation with a really well known D coordinator. Uh, probably right before training camp, and we got into this philosophical discussion about the importance of defensive positions, what are premium positions, you know, that kind of discussion that teams have all the time because they have to draft players and sign players, you know, and they want to decide how they want to best allocate their resources because that's what it comes down to. You don't have, you know, just unlimited resources for everybody, as you know. Um, And he said to me, he said, you know, the way this league is going, I pretty much come to the conclusion that corner – is a more important position than an edge pass rusher. He said years ago, it would have been not even a thought. You're, you're, the, the pass rusher was more important. But now, because there's so much quick game, I think your corners are more important than your pass rushers. Yeah, and we I know we got into that. We, we talked about that exact same thing last week. We circled to that discussion, and I think it's a valid one. There's, I mean, it's, the, the, yeah. the counter argument would be, you know, back to when is the quick game occurring – it's right. It's always on those early downs. How many teams really play a lot of man? I know Houston last year, although I heard some of that was cover three match. It just looked like man, but it played out like man. Houston played a lot of man. The Giants did on early downs. You know, other than that, there weren't a lot of teams on first and second down that play a ton of man coverage. Right. So your corners, you know, they're not. How often are they really pressing and taking away the quick game on on quick game situations? I guess. And then, well, that that's a real interesting thing now with the league going forward, because if quick game, you know, really continues to take hold as it appears to be, you know, and I know we've probably had this discussion, maybe we even had it last week. So, you know, if we had, we can move on to something else. But, you know, if you're not going to get to the quarterback, if you can't disrupt the quarterback, then how do you disrupt the passing game? You have to disrupt receivers, which leads to another conversation about motion, but we can get to that too, because that's become my new fascination. Well, we can talk about now because it's interesting. 
you know, we talked about Miami last week. I think it's going to be unavoidable. We're going to wind up talking Miami most weeks on this show because what how innovative that offense is. But we discussed, you know, they're basically a quick game offense, except that their passing game takes place further downfield because of the motion and the way it propagates the speed they have at wide receiver. And so I know you wanted to talk motion, and I think we'll see – you know, my prediction going into the season is we're going to see a ton of motion at the snap this year, wow. fast motion. And I think we have so far. Miami led the way in the charge. I don't know if you saw them. Did you see their offense? You said you saw Tua. Oh, I, I saw their that. offense. Yeah, I saw, yeah. I saw every Tua drop back. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess why don't you take it? Tell me what your thoughts were out of that game or what you the points you wanted well, to make on motion. Well, there's a bunch of thoughts, and we'll work through them because they're 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 jumbled in my brain. Because yeah. you know, just like you, when you watch tape, you know there's so many things that go through your head that that come from the watching of the plays. In other words, you know it's not the play itself, and the play may be very cool that you're watching, or the the team you're watching may be very cool, but it generates a whole bunch of other thoughts. So my first question, I'd actually have a question to you. Did you watch the Miami offense? Yes, absolutely. It took it took forever by eighty. It, it, you know that's one of those offenses you can't watch fast either. No, no. But were you surprised at the amount of man coverage that Brandon Staley played? They played cover one, two man a high, high percentage of the time with a lot of press. I no, I wasn't because of what we we kind of talked about last year. They caught Miami off guard with all the press coverage they played because that's not typically the Chargers profile. Right. I figured they, and I think we both kind of, we talked about it going in. I, I, I expected to see the press coverage from the Chargers. Mm-hmm. And if you play press, you got to have help. Defend. You can't just play one-on-one press against those guys. That's too big of a risk. You got to have help defenders. And so that's where you get your two mans, your rovers, some of your high right, right. press stuff. That they, you're they play such a high percentage. I mean, they, you know, Hey, we know last year what they did, and it was a little different. This year, it was a little different than what they did last year. I mean, you know, last year they had the boundary corner who was Michael Davis a year ago. Um, uh, this year it was it was both Michael Davis at times and it was J.J. Jackson at times. Yeah. But last year they played a, a man, you know, basically zero man to the boundary with – with the boundary corner, but then they did a lot of zone principles, um, you know, away from that because they could would get the boundary safety involved in the zone and take away a lot of the in-breaking throws that are really the, yeah. what the Dolphin offense is all about. This game, they played a ton of just man, you know. Now, two-man, of course, as well, um, which, you know, theoretically helps, but, man, that, they played a lot of man. I mean, I was, I was truly surprised. I was so what stood out to me about that because I thought they it felt like they had notable snaps of their cover eight concepts as well, which is kind of in a way if you think about it, so cover eight halves to the field, quarters right. to the boundary, which is very similar similar to what you just described because that boundary corner if the the, the boundary safety is going to play looking for crossing routes, he's not going to help right. that corner. So that corner is in that zero man that you're talking about, just like last year. And then on the have side, you know, you can play the press really aggressively and then you carry the slot a lot of the time in that. So you play press on number one, the widest receiver. If you carry the slot receiver in certain scenarios, you know, it's going to that plays out with a lot of two man principles as well. So right. I, I I thought it looked to me like kind of like the Chargers playing mannish stuff, but within the context of their profile a little bit. And you could well be right. And, 
look, it was just an unbelievable game. I mean, there was a stat as I finished watching the tape. Sometimes I just go back and look at a few stats just to see, you know, just to kind of. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we all do that. Um, So Tua completed 28 passes in this game. 23 of those 28 completions resulted in first downs. That's a ridiculous number. That's amazing. I didn't know that one. Yeah. He dropped back 46 times, okay? So 23 of the 46 dropbacks resulted in first downs. 50% of the time he dropped back to pass, they got a first down. That, to me, is unheard of. That's unheard of. And you know what? He missed a big throw early in the game, too, that would have yeah. been probably a 50 or 60-yarder. Well, it's funny you say out. that because I know the play, and it's and as, as good as Tua is, and he's a certain kind of quarterback, and he's really good at that, but the throw you're talking about, he kind of had to sit on his back foot for an extra half second yep. and not really step into it, and those are the kinds of throws he can't make. Yeah, his ball not his ball will lose so much energy on that that the, that it also becomes an inaccurate ball. It's not just underthrown or overthrow. It just it yeah it, it falls off. Hate to criticize. I thought, oh boy, that's a tough start, but everything else was pretty sharp. Oh. You know what stood so, out to me though, and I think this is the problem moving forward. It felt like there were a lot of scenarios where the Chargers did press and still didn't get their hands on those guys. They were no, but there was no rebounding going on. Yeah, it's hard. So what do you if that's the, then what do you do if you if you press and you've got long? I mean, J.C. Jackson is a long armed corner. Michael Davis is big and stalking. These are smaller receivers. If they can't make contact, you know what corners will, and if no corners can. Do you, I mean, at some point, do you abandon the press idea and play off coverage? What do you do against the Dolphins receivers right now? Well, it's a great question. Uh, um, You know, just to point out one play, the Hill 35-yard touchdown, um, you know, was a classic case where they actually had J.J. Jackson as the boundary corner pressed on Hill. And this was a play where the boundary safety, James, was clearly looking inside, leaving yep. Jackson in zero man. And Jackson could not get his hands on Hill. No, he and got he, him, he got borderline embarrassed on that. And I, I, I don't I think they sat him after that. He was not in the game down the stretch. Yeah, no, they ended up, you know, he, he sat for quite a while and they moved Michael Davis to boundary corner and and had Asante Samuel play on the outside. He had yeah. started the game Samuel as the as the uh, uh, slot corner, but then they moved him outside. Um, so, but yeah, they 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 struggled to get their hands. Um, even on on um, one of the early plays on Waddle's thirty five yarder on the first possession, he was in the the boundary slot, and he beat Jackson, who was trying to press him off the ball, and 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 Jackson missed him, and then you're done. Yeah, then yeah. the speed is just too – the quickness and the speed is too much. And so we're talking about corners losing in press coverage against these guys. We're not even getting into when they motion the guys and, and obliterate yeah. any chance you have at, at pressing or even playing press technique. Yep. Um, and there was a great example in this game as well. And then I want to talk about motion a little bit more generally um, – but Hill had a 29-yarder in the second quarter where he was kind of in a, a wing alignment and he just did quick motion outside of the, yeah. of the reduced split X receiver Craycraft. And, you know, he got free access off the ball. And Jackson, who was covering him, couldn't press him, obviously, but he had to turn and open his body to the sideline to play the vertical because, you know, you can't get beat over the top. 
And then, of course, Hill ran the dig. And because his body was turned to the sideline, he could not react to the dig. So that's just another great example of the yeah. use of motion and how it really puts corners in a bind. Yeah, and it's a, and that play in particular, that's the kind of play that can change defensive profiles for future opponents. I mean, I saw that was one of his kind of people felt clever saying this is literally indefensible when they posted the clip on Twitter. Right. It is if you're in that kind of man coverage, uh, but – you know, you're not going to see that kind of, like you said, they're not going to do it every time moving forward. Right. So I, you know, I think we'll see more zone. I mean, who? it's, it's hard to know if you're New England. This is a great bridge to, to the upcoming week. New yes. England plays as much of the man and, and not just, you know, they'll bring a five-man rush on man, but they, they, they play man with two free defenders, often a rover and a free safety. They do that as much as any team in the league. Fifty percent of third downs are close to that last year. Third and long scenarios, anyway. Do they do that against Miami, or is this a game where we would maybe see Belichick do one of the Belichick out of nowhere? Here's a totally different scheme type of games. I am going to be so fascinated and to see what Coach Belichick does. And and I'm being honest with you, um, Andy, I have no idea what he's going to do. I don't. I, mean, I, I don't, don't either. But and I can't even begin to guess. So if somebody said, "Hey, what do you think Belichick's going to do?" I mean, I'm just being honest. I have no idea. But I don't think he's going to play press man. I mean, he's got a rookie corner, uh, Gonzalez, who I thought played well last week against the Eagles, and I think he's going to be a really good player. But you know, that's a tall order. And plus, he's long. And and long corners, you know, you could say, well, they're been better positioned to press because they're long. You know, I, I'm just not sure you want to get him caught up in having to deal with that the short area quickness of those guys. Yeah, we like, just talked about like DC Jackson and Michael Davis, who, who are yeah. are talented corners. So, yeah, no, that's that's uh, an interesting one with with New England there. And, and Belichick really hasn't seen maybe he's seen it. He's watched the film, but you know, he played Miami in Week One last year, so he didn't know what Mike McDaniel was going to do. He maybe no. had some idea, but Mike McDaniel's not doing the 49ers stuff the same way the Niners do. The same personnel, a lot of 21 personnel. Yeah, but, but yeah, very but, different but, offenses in the passing very game. Different. And then the yes. second time they played him, I think it was either we, I think it was the second two time they in that game. Yeah, it was yeah, it was it was uh, Thompson at quarterback. Totally yeah. different offense without two in that game. So. Yeah, it'll be a fun one to watch. All right, so well, tell me what else you got about motion. The motion thing, yeah. you know, where I really – look, you and I both know that Miami uses motion. So when we watch Miami's offense, there's no surprise there. I mean, that's what they do. And and they're arguably, along with the Niners, we think of those two teams as the best in the league with their use and deployment of motion. Correct when you say that's fair? I would agree with that. All right. So here I am watching your old team, the Niners – I mean, the, uh, the um, Rams – and I don't know if you got to see them this week at all, but all of a sudden I'm watching the Rams and I'm seeing all this motion. And, you know, it, they had motion on 20 of Stafford's dropbacks, okay? And Stafford was 14 for 20 for 193 yards um, off motion. Um, and the guy who's motioning, and you would know, of course, right away, who would have to motion? Tutu Atwell. Because he's small, so what do you want to do with Tutu Atwell? You want to get him free access off the ball so we can generate velocity and speed. And in some ways, he becomes very similar to Hill and Waddle. If, you know, uh, and again, I don't want people to think I'm making an apples to apples comparison. We're talking about concepts and philosophy. Yeah, how you and, would use him. He, he's not those guys, but if you had to categorize him in one of 10 categories, he'd be in the same style of category as those guys. Correct. And, you know, 
Atwell, by the way, had four for 93 off motion. He was the motion man on 10 of the 20 movement snaps, okay? So, obviously, th that was game plan that Atwell, you know, because they're down receivers or they don't have a lot of receivers, you know, Cooper Cup's out and, you know, they're playing Atwell, who um, you would know more about than I. I mean, I watched him coming out of Louisville, and this was back two, three years ago when my thinking was probably more old school, and I'm thinking, God, this guy's really small. Yeah, he can run, but he's really small. And now, the more I'm watching the NFL, I'm thinking to myself, I think that the size of receivers is not going to be anywhere near as big a deal as it once was because teams are going to start copying all this. You know how it works in the league. And and I'm not saying that teams are, you know, want three receivers who are 5'7", 170 pounds. We know they're not going to want three guys like that. But the use of motion really mitigates against press. It forces defenses to play a certain way. It takes strength away from some defenses. I mean, it's it's a really fascinating concept to me. Well, and, and the way it you know it started with you undress the defense with it, and that's that right. a big part of it is just yeah. motion from one formation to another. The defense gives you information and in how they have to respond to that motion. That's, you know, the team that stood out to me with this stuff, kind of for what I'm talking about, but I think they do a great job with motion at the snap as well, It was the Detroit Lions against Kansas yes. City. They're another team. I, I Yes, yes. They motioned, I think, third or fourth most in the league last season. They led the league in production off a of motion coming into the formation. I would have guessed it'd be Kansas City because Travis Kelsey – all the short right. motion, the stack and stuff like we saw in the Super Bowl, and they're up there. But the Lions do it more than anyone, and they ever seem like every single snap was Sam Laporta, the tight end, who I'd never seen. You know, I don't study the college guys like you do, Greg. I hadn't yeah, seen I, Sam I saw him a lot. Yeah, and maybe yeah. it's the '87 because you know the '87 thanks to Gronkowski. Yeah, they all look good in that number, but. He looks the part. He was really – I was really impressed with him. Yeah. But every snap, it seems like they split him out at number one and motion him into the formation. And a lot of times then they call their play. You know, simple stuff like that, you're now calling the play with a much more predictable defense. That has become the norm. And then as I, I mentioned the other day, I think we're going to see more teams, and we started to a little bit. Miami did it, in fact, bring in fast motion into the formation now because I think that's a good way to stress interior defenders. Well, well, Tutu Atwell's long pass this week, and I, again, I don't know if you saw it, um, but he caught. Um, I, I'm trying to think of how long it was, um, but it was a, it was a long completion. It was probably in the 50 yard range. Um, okay, and I and I haven't seen it yet. But he he motioned. It was motion into into a bunch, and he released behind. I think it was Higby, if memory serves me correctly, um, and. You know, then he got the free release, and then he ended up running the deep sale. But it was basically motion into the formation toward a bunch, but he released behind the guy Higby, who I I believe became the point man in the bunch. Okay, and it was just a really you know the concept was just really cool. I mean, it's you know I, I thought that you know just watching all this was I was fascinated by it, truly so fascinated. So one thing I, I grew to love, I grew to love motion as a, as a scout, a schematic scout doing defensive side, because I think you can get a lot of tells with teams, you know, every time they, not just who motions, but where they motion to, or the one that probably right. gets overlooked is where they motion from, where you initially line them up. There was one team that, that over the last few years that I scouted where that motioned a lot and had basically no tells at all. It was, it was unbelievably frustrating 
which team would you guess that it was? That had no tells with their motion? And they, they motioned a lot. They just had, I don't want to say no tells. They had almost no tendencies, no tips, no tells, no tendencies. They were they just didn't tell you much with the motions. I mean, I, I, my immediate thought, but maybe I'm totally wrong, would be the 49ers. But and that's a good that's a good guess with them they, because they motion out of twenty one personnel a lot. I, I you know I, it was almost the opposite, and I don't want to make it sound like oh we got, Niners are easy to figure out. It's not. Uh, that's a great offense. It's not the Forty ers though. Wow. Um, what conference? Other conference, not the Niners conference. So the AFC, um, a team that motions a lot without tells. Oh boy, I I I I feel stupid here. You're gonna to have to tell me. Yeah, no, but, but well, not as stupid as I felt watching them for 40 hours and then writing a report that had nothing. Not the Seahawks. What's that? Not the Seahawks. Well, now now you can feel stupid because you're about 20 years out of date with that AFC NFC thing. Oh, that's right. That's right. They're in the <laughs> NFC. Yeah. Um, wait, so it's AFC, and I'm trying to think. Give me a minute, AFC. I'll, I'll give you a I'll give you a, a hint, kind of related to the motions. So one one reason that the Niners are not that they do have a little more tells is because they'll do multiple motions in the same right. time. And that that kind of believe it or not brings more tendencies to the surface. I found um, for what it's worth, you know, these tendencies taken with a grain of salt. Right. We got to go play. Go the ahead. Team, the you team that was so hard. It's because they only motioned one guy almost every time. They rarely did multiple shifts and mo- it was just one simple motion every snap. The team was Kansas City. Oh, I should have known that. They do a ton of motion. Yeah, yeah. And they, yeah, I they, should know that. They yeah. balanced it so well. They do it with it's all I mean, they must self-scout up the wazoo because they are they they motion with the same number of different guys, the same number. Five guys will have done the same motion seven times, never enough to grab your grab onto, never enough to tell you much. They were really great scouting-wise with motion. I hated scouting. Wow. Them. Well, uh, anyway, just to make a correction, when I was talking about that Atwell play, uh, he ended up releasing inside of the point man was Nakua, not not Higby. Um, and he got into his deep sail route versus the corner Brown, who got caught with bad body position and, in the, you know, in the inside traffic. And, you know, then you get these guys free. But the Chiefs, I should have thought of that because they're a big motion team as well. And, you know, I just think you're going to see more and more of it. And like I said, I think it could change the way some teams, and it won't, there'll always be holdouts, you know, who, who want to do it the old way. Um, and the old way doesn't mean it's the bad way. There's many ways to play football in the NFL. But I think you're going to see smaller receivers come into play because, you know, we're, we're not in the, you know, we're not in the Mel Blunt era of football anymore where you're <laughs> going to line up receivers in one spot and the corner can play press and he can be big and, you know, and just shove him into the ground. You know, that's not the way really good offenses play in the NFL right now. Yeah. And it, it'll be interesting to see if the, the motion in the passing game, pass situations evolves because so much motion right now comes on normal down and distance because the motion impacts everybody's run fit responsibility on defense, which now regulates the coverages. That's what Kyle Shanahan figured out. If I make you have to defend a gap with my motion, you become one dimensional in coverage and I can make you wrong. Other offenses do that now. See, and that's a great point. And here's something to bring up. I think that plays off that for the teams that motion across the formation, 
with a quick guy. Okay, you know, the Atwells, the Hills, the Waddles, um, the Chiefs do that as well, clearly. How do you know whether it's jet motion or whether it's change of strength motion? And we can explain that because maybe people don't know what those two things mean. But, you know, change of strength motion means that let's say you're in a two by two set offensively, two receivers to each side of the formation with a back, you know, offset to, to one side. Let's leave the back out for now. So you've got a two by two set, you know, you're playing coverage wise a particular way. Now, if you take one of those guys and run them in jet motion, meaning that guy literally runs right behind or in front of the quarterback, depending if the quarterback's under center or in the gun, but he runs pretty much close to the offensive line and he crosses the formation. Now you're all of a sudden going from a two by two to a three by one set, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now from a from let's put aside the run game for the moment. There there's there's <laughs> ramifications for the run game, absolutely. But even now in coverage, you might your your coverage might make just you know an adjustment because you might play three by one, you will play three by one differently than you play two by two. Yes, and so, so then so I said I liked motion as a guy scouting for the defense because it gives tells. I liked when they just motioned and then stood still. Afterwards, I, I hate the speed motions that you're talking about, the jet, the change of strength, the, you know, because what's the exactly what you're saying? What's the rule? When does a three by one formation become a two by two formation if someone's in motion? Do I was in vice versa? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, is it when, yeah. Yeah. and there's, there's really two types. There's, so the jet motions, you, you know, that's right. I, I, in my mind, that's right before the guy crosses the ball because he, they, in theory, they could hand him the ball. So he's kind of a run threat. Right, right. Run game. But what these other teams are doing now, like my, Miami is what we're talking about. They send him on that jet motion, but they let him cross the ball and he gets outside the op- offensive tackle on the other side. He's clearly in a different formation now. But they've gotten over there so fast that you don't really have time defensively to communicate or adjust. To you hit a great. Way. You hit a great point. What happens if they snap the? You know, if a guy like Hill starts in motion and he's running fast because he's fast, and you're thinking right away, oh, he's going to cross the formation. But it, it's going to be change of strength. Let's let's you know whatever our check is based on our week preparation, we're going to check. And all of a sudden, they snap the ball before he crosses the quarterback. Yeah, you know, and 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 that's yeah. that's that's where that stuff came from. So the jet motions yeah. that really came 2018 was the year. It was the Rams did it all the time, and in 2019 teams copied it. It was kind of the trendy thing. They were doing it before the guy crossed the ball. They were snapping the the motion guy was using, right. You know, the snap happened before the motion crossed the ball. Yeah, and yeah. now what happens is the motion clearly crosses the ball. But we're talking about the difference of 0.7 seconds, and right, so, yeah, it's it's a bear cat, and I don't have a great. An- I don't know how you, you know, well, I don't know I, if anybody has a great answer for it. So what? So I what mean, happens is, but you you hit on the right word, and and what Kyle Shanahan recognized, it regulates defenses because they have to simplify. They can't worry about making a lot of communication adjustments because if it's the wrong one. You could give up a 60-yard touchdown. Yeah. So you end up having to simplify and regulate your defense. And then you see enough tape of that, of how defenses respond to your to your motions, and then you know how to attack them. So one reason I, I did that Zoom presentation on our, our 33rd team call a few weeks ago about some yeah. of the motions 
And I, I mentioned that I think we'll see more passing strength to the boundary this season off these motions. Where, and what we mean by to the boundary, if the ball's on the left hash, then the boundary is the left side. It's a shorter the side, side of the field. field. Yeah. The right side is the wider side of the field. So what, what hash the ball's on, coaches will sell. It doesn't matter in the NFL. It absolutely matters. Every defense is set into that stuff one way or another. 90% of the time, the offense puts the passing strength to the wide side of the field because there's the more field. space to run the routes. So the reason I think we'll see more passing strength to the boundary is because the one thing the defense does have against those fast motions is a lot of them start out of stack to the boundary. And so when you see a stack to the boundary with two wide receivers and it's 11 personnel, the defense can can guess with relative certainty. They said educate, it's a good, smart, educated guess that one of those guys, the, spot, the guy in the back of the stack off the ball, is going to be coming in fast motion. So we can just kind of anticipate it and set right. our coverage as if the motion's about to happen. Well, if they start motioning the other way, you know, offenses are going to take that little tell and tip away at some point because that's the only thing defenses have to hold on to right now. At least the only thing that that is obvious at the front of my mind as we talk through it. Well, the other thing that I thought of just while you were talking, you know, because, again, this is yeah. sort of like watching tape where a million things start going through my head, is – when you do a lot of motion and defenses have to regulate, more often than not, they're going to play zone. They're not going to try to match up man-to-man to speed receivers in, in motion across the formation. I mean, we see when teams have tried to do that with, let's say, a Tyreek Hill, and it's just fruitless. Yeah. You know, because then, you know. But so what I think you're going to see when teams get a feel that they're going to get zone coverage, whatever the zone coverage is, you know, could be quarters, could be quarter-quarter, whatever it is, it's zone. I think you're going to see teams do more of what we call four strong, where four receivers work to one side of the field because that's really, really difficult to cover in zone because there's there's just not enough bodies and there's too many voids. Correct. Yeah, and we've we've you and I have talked about this before, and the the Chiefs do it more than anyone. I would almost guarantee you. Uh, right. And, and when you I, so when you say four strong, I think of it. I mean, four strong before the snap's great. I kind of think of it post-snap, though. Either way. Four guys to one side at some point very no early after the snap. You're right. They do that a lot because they'll bring Kelsey very often across the formation on a route. And, it, you know, he starts on one side and then he crosses. And now he becomes, let's say, the fourth receiver to that side. Yeah. No, you're right. It doesn't have to be four receivers starting on that side. Correct. Yeah. And that's what Kansas City is so good at. And they'll actually go five strong even at times. I mean, partly because right. they're so willing to stretch the field vertically. They have, they can kind of man- manufacture the space to do that, I think. But I'm with you 100%. The pushback I'd give, Greg, is the challenge, I think, though, with some of those zones, because, you know, unless it's cover two, the widest corner is going to have number one vertical and cover three, cover four quarters, you know? Right. So, it's still a matchup for that corner outside, correct? You would agree with that? Well, it has to be because he can't let number one just run by him. So he's matching up. The problem is if you got a guy coming over there with speed, number one's getting matched up to, well, now you got to match up to the guy with speed because we know number one's getting cleared out of there. So the flat defender winds up running and matching with the guy that just went in the fast motion and now all of a sudden your zone coverage is basically playing out like man-to-man anyway. It almost – well, it's funny. I had this conversation with two retired 
veteran NFL coordinators who basically said we were talking about something else, but it fits this principle that said that with certain with zone concepts based on route concepts where they're trying to flood areas like even just the flood concept, the three level stretch where you have the short route, the intermediate route and the vertical route. Yeah. And if the intermediate route comes from the opposite side, that underneath coverage has to match even if you're playing zone because otherwise you get caught because there's no one who can play that intermediate route you know if if you're let's say playing cover three okay we know what cover three is it's three deep defenders and four underneath defenders that's your base cover three okay let's talk about that for a sec keep it simple four underneath three deep so if you're going to run a flood concept meaning Short, intermediate, vertical to the same side of the field. Well, the short route, the flat defender expands and he takes the short route, correct? Yes. The vertical route, the corner, because it's his deep third, he runs with that. So now who is going to play the intermediate route to that side of the field that would technically be caught around the numbers? So because the flat defender has is playing the flat. Yeah, and he, the we cleared corner, out the two widest defenders. Correct. You've cleared out the widest defenders, one going deep and one going short, and now you have an intermediate area where there's no other wide defender. So a lot of a lot of conversations I've now had with coaches say that there there needs to be an alert every time, you know, depending on the team, you know, if teams do this, certainly the Chiefs do, that if if a Kelsey or whoever it is is in some kind of reduced split, you know, then you have to have an alert that the hook-to-curl defender, the, those two guys, in a sense, have to match up somewhere along the line. You know, However you want them to match up, but they have to match up because you can't let Kelsey run free into an open space. So someone has to match up to him. Yeah. No, it's one of the things I have enjoyed over the years is, is it's fun teaching football to someone. So you get someone in their early twenties that want to learn, you hop on film and you, you kind of teach level 100 football, which by the way, every NFL coach I've ever met is a master at teaching level 100 football. We think right, of right, right. level 400 football guys, 500. Hey, they teach you know level 100 pr- so well. You know what? One of the things I'm most proud of is since you said that you obviously know Pep Hamilton. You know, yeah. I mean, you know who he is. I don't know. Yeah, if I, 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 and I've met him a few times. I don't know him super well, but I, I, like I know that. he's not in the league right now, but he was for years and years. And one of the great moments, uh, and, and I didn't speak to him personally, but he told this to Ron Jaworski. And he said, as a young coach growing up in the business, you know, when he first started, he said he, he really learned the game from watching the matchup show. Oh, congratulations. You know, so That's that made great. me feel really, you know, like, hey, yeah. it just made me think of what you were saying, you know, teaching, you know, someone, you know, because that's, yeah, I, I think that's what we do on the matchup show, but that's not the point. But the point is, I just love these kinds of conversations because to me, football is an academic and intellectual game. Yeah, and, no, I agree. Know, and I know coaches think of it that way. That's the way coaches think of it. Well, guys like you and me have had to think of it because we are not players. So we have no, right, right. that's the only way we can. But right. when I get in a position where I'm fortunate to get to teach somebody one of the f- things I always find myself saying in the front of the conversation is understand this about zone coverage, because I would not have thought of it this way. Coming in, I think zone cover. okay, man-to-man, that's man, and then zone, it's an area. I get it, perfect. No area of grass in the history of football has ever caught a pass or gained a yard. Men right. catch passes and gain yards. <laughs> right, when you're right. in zone coverage, 
You're not guarding the grass. You're not guarding the area. You're responsible for the men that come into that area or threaten that area. And that's really the way every zone is a matchup concept. At least if it's going to work, it becomes correct. coverage at some point. I learned that from Rod Rust, who's since passed away, but he coached in the NFL and college for years and years and years. And many view him as kind of the pioneer of quarters coverage. And one thing he taught me from day one, he would come watch tape with me for about four or five years every Monday and taught me a ton about defensive football. And he always said that two things. He said, number one, any zone coverage that you put in, you must know what beats it. And then, therefore, you must know how you can take away what beats it. And, obviously, it doesn't always play out exactly that way because there's smart coaches on both sides. But no coach, as you know, if, let's say, a play happens and gets into an open area, no coach, when the defense comes to the sideline, is going to say, oh, well, that's going to be an open area every time. If they want to do that, we're going to get beat every time. No <laughs> coach says that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I'll get and we probably yeah. get out of here because we got to get back to our yeah. respective film. But I'll, so I, I I went to a Chargers golf function years ago. This is when Gus Bradley was the defensive coordinator, oh, yeah. and I met him there. Is that some? It was a famous like Riviera. I don't know. I don't know the golf. It was some some place every golf person knows. And well, you're a big jet setter, Andy. I, we know that you're a big jet setter. <laughs> <laughs> I was just glad that Gus Bradley was there because I asked yeah. him. I said, "Okay, you play more cover three than everyone in the NFL." And, you know, people would say that makes you predictable. Why do you do it? Because obviously you know other coverage. You know, you're not just going to line up and be predictable and go home at 4 o'clock every day. I know you're not doing that. What's the philosophy? And he said basically what you just said, as a defense that plays cover three all the time, or not all, you know, more than everyone, we know what beats cover three, and we know that that's what we're going to get from our opponent every week. So we feel we have mastered defending the main cover three beaters. And that's how we want to play. It makes us predictable. Yes, but it makes the offense predictable to us. And, and it also that's what they love about it. It also makes their defenders extremely smart and aware of how to play because there's not a thousand things going through their head with different coverages and different techniques. So, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to, you know, that's why there's 10, 15 different ways to play and win in the league. Correct. That's a great story. Yeah. yeah. He, they, the defenders have less to think about on there and they play faster, fundamental. And in turn, they have less to process offensively because they're going to be seeing the same stuff from the offenses each week because there are concepts that beat cover three. No question. They don't, yeah, they don't have to worry about playing with 20 different techniques, you know? Like, yeah. Because how often do you hear a coach talk about technique, 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 and that sounds great until you're a player and there's 10 different techniques, you yeah. know, and then you got to figure out which one you're using in a particular coverage. Yeah, and, and by the way, the offense is coming in fast motion across the formation with Tyree Graham. Right. That's how you're trying to figure it out. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Cool, Greg, I could talk with you all day, and I've got that – feeling like I'm carefree right now and I know oh crap in two minutes when we hit exit here I got all the stuff that I feel like I'm behind on to go watch is right back well I'm on the east coast Andy so for me it's not eight whatever eight fifteen, and I've been here watching tape and doing you know my matchup show and things related since five ten this morning so believe it or not I'm gonna go home yeah good for you no you keep different hours I, I wind up going late starting a touch later and uh 
it's whatever it is. If we're awake, it's on our it's on our mind, and that's great. We're really grateful to be get to doing this. This NFL. No, this has been year. awesome. I love these guys. And you know, the thing is, as we see more tape every week and more things, it's just going to be so easy to talk about different concepts and different teams. And and you know, it's it. These are, you and I are probably crazy in that regard, but this is what we think about. You know. Yeah, and I know our our boss Mark Romanoli is going to be listening. And Mark, please. Do not hesitate to give us a long list of all the stuff we need to do a better job of explaining. Because I know we probably got pretty carried away into the football jargon here. We'll try to find the happy medium. All right, Greg, thank you guys for listening. Make sure you subscribe and turn on notifications. Never miss an episode. We will be back at this time next week. More football discussion, more breakdowns. 